Hello, everybody. It is me, Taylor White, talking just before the podcast starts. I would love to remind everybody that uh, I will be doing a live podcast at the show on Thursday, March 16th from 2.15 to 3.15 in the Community Zone. And if you're asking yourself who is going to be this amazing guest, it is Dana Wusthoff, who is actually the show director for Con Expo Con Egg. And she will be sitting down and having a conversation about what it takes to put on a show like Con Expo. And uh, to be totally honest with you guys, I reached out. I'm like, I want to talk to somebody that has, you know, such a big hand in making everything happen. And that is what's going to be going on. And I cannot wait to sit down with Dana and talk about everything Con Expo, talk about previous and even maybe tease something about the future. Obviously, that will be posted on YouTube and everything later on. But stop by the Community Zone March 16th from 2.15 to 3.15. I will be there. Dana will be there. Live show. Now let's get into this podcast with DC Excavation Dane, brought to you by our good friends over at Komatsu. Welcome back, everybody, to the Con Expo Con Egg podcast, brought to you by our amazing friends over at Komatsu, which I just got to say, the show is less than a month away. I'm going to assume everybody listening has their tickets, and if you don't, Please make sure to go register for the uh, the show. It's going to be one like no other in beautiful Las Vegas. But I know the guy that I'm interviewing today will be there. I have the man who I get sent his machinery, pictures of his <laughs> machinery constantly all the time. Dane from DC Excavation. D- Dane, thanks for uh, being on the show, brother. Yeah, thank you, Taylor. It's a mutual deal for sure. I don't know how many tags I get a day of KWC 2000. Man, isn't it wild? I, I don't honestly think I have gotten, and, and this is not for the sake of conversation, I genuinely get sent your grader and dozer all the time, especially since we re- put that uh, Komatsu on, uh, on rental. Like, is yours going to look like this? Are you going to do this? Are you going to? I get your machinery all the time in my messages. I'm glad to hear that it is gone the other way as well, too. Oh, definitely. Yeah, the uh, the greater the custom colors, man, they just pop. And I'm sure you've seen that with your customers. Even our customers love it. So it's an awesome thing to be able to have. And, you know, we do it for marketing. But honestly, the biggest thing is, is I like it. So I just do it. Yeah, no, that's that's the same with me as well, too. But I don't want to, to, to skip over. I'm actually glad to have you on the, the show today, too, and kind of just chat with you. Because I think for the past, like, two or three years, I've seen you on social media followed your stuff, seen what you're kind of up to. And I've never really taken the time. And that's, again, why I love this podcast, because I get to sit down with people that I, I see and get to understand who they are, what they are, and how they got where they are. So I'd love a little bit of background for everyone listening, as well as myself. Like, who is Dane? What's DC Excavation? How did you get to where you are right now? Yeah, man. So I guess in uh, my family's history, my great great grandpa built dams with horses back in the day. So it's kind of been a long, long lasting family tradition. It's in the blood. DC Excavation is a first generation company that I started myself here. We had some stuff going with my dad's family business uh, during the last recession, the big recession in 2008, 2010. And I just kind of washed my hands of everything and decided to go do things on my own. I started this in 2016 after moving to Montana, and we've grown from me starting with one skid steer to uh, we've got 20 pieces of machinery and 20 plus employees in the summer. So 
it's been a ride. Honestly, the biggest thing for the ride has just been networking and relationships. And so I've been very fortunate to develop some great relationships. You know, there's people just like you and lots of others that I can look to, you know, multiple generation businesses that they're more than happy to share their knowledge just through the internet. And it's awesome to be able to have that to help a young business owner such as myself succeed. Yeah. You're spot on the money there. That is one thing that I do like about at least the today's day and age with businesses. You can reach out to so many people and it's pretty incredible the people that you can meet along with the journey. But but what was the business your father was in? So he was doing this similar stuff to what I'm doing now. He would do excavation for houses in Aspen, Colorado. I'm originally from Colorado. Shea Stutzman's territory. And we would do oil field stuff. There was a big oil field in there. Um, we would do commercial site development and we just did septic systems and smaller stuff too. So kind of just a broad spectrum. You have to be good at or decent at everything just because you never know what's coming day to day. Dang, that's pretty neat. So like growing up, you were around machinery and everything then. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I have pictures of me. We lived in Southern California for a bit there and I have pictures of me. Wow. You've been everywhere. You're like Johnny Cash. We moved a lot, man. We moved a lot. But I had pictures of me in, in a wheel of a scraper back in the day, like just big old Tarek scraper up in the cab, you know, John Deere scrapers. So yeah, kind of a long, long, long line of uh, dirt movers. Well, what was it like going from being in the family business, I guess, because that's something I never got to experience and then going to like starting your own thing? Like, was it nerve wracking? Like, did you have the mindset of like, no matter what, I'm going to succeed at this or... Yeah. And, you know, that was the biggest thing is there, I didn't have a fallback plan. I didn't have anybody. I didn't have anybody to finance my start. Everything I did was based on some money that I had saved. And so there was no option for failure. There was really no plan B. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, I, I get messages and I'm sure you do all the time. Well, I'm working this job, but I'm thinking about doing this and I just don't really know where to go. And it's like, Look, you can't have a plan B if you want to succeed. Plan A is your only option. You can call an audible along the way, but plan A, man, it's scary. There's days where you lay awake at night wondering how you're going to pay your people, how you're going to take care of everybody, but there's no other option. You just have to find a way. Yeah, you nailed it there. And and I think one thing that relates, I mean, like I said, I don't have the experience of starting from from nothing. Um, one thing I can relate to you on is like, you know, the sleepless nights and you know, taking the business from like where it was with my father to where we are now required a lot of capital and a lot of money. And, you know, thankfully we have a good relationship with the banks and cat, like, you know, financing machinery through the actual uh, dealerships as well. But you're, you're spot on like plan A is just always my, my it was always a plan. There's no plan B and you just got to make it work. But you're right. Like what a lot of the times that people see on social media, and that's one thing I want to get into and in a little bit in the conversation as well too, is like, it's funny because I get messages, people being like, dude, you live my dream life. Like, I wish someday I could get as big as you and, and do this. And it's like, I feel like maybe I'm showing the wrong stuff online then because there's no honeypot of money sitting somewhere, generational wealth. Like my family, including myself, we're all in on this business. So the sleepless nights laying there awake, worrying about payroll, like those happen, you know, and, and that's part of being in business. And I think that's the kind of mindset that you have to have in order to be successful in this business. But and it's, it's interesting. That's one thing like can, you can kind of like add to that, like 
do you feel like sometimes social media gets highlighted like somebody like, wow, they're taking this extra money and paying their machinery. And then sometimes I'm going like, maybe I shouldn't have spent 18 grand. Yeah. To pay my 325 here because like I could really use that 20 grand right now. Well, and the biggest thing is just take it one day at a time, right? Like there's a big push to do long-term planning and everything like that. Sure, we all have long-term plans, but people get so caught up on the future. They don't live in today. They don't live in the grind right now. And they don't put in what they need to today because they're looking way off in the distance. And that's something that I really try to do is like, what is our issue right now? What can we handle today? Because we can't handle tomorrow's problems today. We can prepare for them, but we can't handle them. So what can we do today? And, you know, I think that's, that's helped. It's interesting. I saw this thing on foreman training and stuff like that. It's like, you're not just leading a crew. You're their mentor. You're also their therapist. You're also this. And like, we all have our own demons. We all have our own problems, right? And so being a well-rounded individual, you have to do that to be in our seat. And I won't claim to be that person. I have my failures like nobody's else, but just being willing to stop for a minute. And I don't know if you've listened to him at all, but Gary V, I like listening to Gary V some. And his big thing is empathy. Like try to understand where people are coming from. If you can understand that, then you can help them. And honestly, like it's, it's a huge thing for business. Like if you can understand where somebody else is coming from, you can help articulate your deal to make it happen. And so, you know, relationships, man, everything you're saying about being all in, like having the finance companies and all, it's all based on relationships and just the people. So yes, I, I can echo everything you said, man, like sleepless nights. Should I have spent that money? Oh, I guess it's, this is the masochist side, but it's fun to know that there's other people that have those same thoughts and those same struggles. Yeah, a hundred percent. But I think it just takes like actually talking about that and like saying like, there's been so many conversations that I've had with business owners and they said something. I'm like, oh, like, okay. Like you think like that sometimes too. Okay. Like that's interesting. But for me, it's like, I know that I'll be successful no matter what I do, just based on like work ethic and drive, you know, because like you could have all the talent in the world and, you know, all these you know, degrees and gone to college and university and you have all these, you know, things in front of your name before your title. But if you don't work hard, I feel like then that just means nothing. You know what I mean? Like work ethic out trumps talent, in my opinion. And that's why I always say like work harder. People are like, well, work smarter. I'm like, well, you could be the smartest person in the world in the room, but not have any work ethic and never amount to anything in life. So I think that that's what's really important, too, is having that that drive to be a business owner and to be that leader and, and to want to be in that position. Well, and those there's sacrifices associated with it, right? Like how many family events or fun times with your buds? Like I, you can't go out for a rip if you're working, right? And so, like, honestly, how many times have you missed those events? I don't know about you, but for me, when I was starting up, man, people didn't see me. I was on the job or sleeping. I would go to church Sunday morning, then go right back to work. And it's like, there was no option. You're talking about a guy starting a dirt company with a skid steer. Like there's no option. So <laughs> yeah, no, you're hundred percent right. What was your thought process? Like I know mine, but what was yours with the black machinery? I wasn't super busy on social media before Con Expo in 2017, but I went to Con Expo in 2017 and I saw the anniversary edition, 299 with the chrome decals, it was all blacked out in cat's booth and it was awesome. 
I was just like, oh, this is amazing. I went home from the show and ordered one. Obviously, they don't come with chrome decals and all that. That was a special deal. But I went home from the show and ordered a black. I think it was a 259 was my first machine. And uh, then I shortly after ordered a 299 and then another 259. And everything I could, I tried ordering in black. What we couldn't order in black, we started painting and stuff. And I've fallen a little bit behind on the on the painting. I need to catch back up. But when the machines are out on a job, it's hard to justify pulling them in to paint. So yeah, the biggest thing is is probably just recognition. I enjoy it. It's cool for me. I think it's unique. And I hope my customers have kind of the same mindset. But you know, you can drive by a job site in town and see it and you're like, oh, well, that's one of our jobs. We know that's our job. So is that the same thing that you do too? You know, to be 100% honest, like I remember I drew it on a whiteboard like probably four years ago. And I was like, this is what I want our excavators and dump trucks to look like. And now they all look like that. And I thought based like honestly, purely on like, this would be cool. And I feel like everything else fell into place. And, and that's how I find a lot of stuff about like business and social media. I'm like, oh, I guess this is why I was doing it. It was kind of like, oh, wow, like more people want to run this excavator because it's black and it looks cool versus the next guy that has a construction company that just has the same one, but it's still yellow. Okay, that's interesting. Well, maybe we should try, you know what I mean? And then it falls into, okay, well, I guess we do it for multiple different reasons, but it started out, I was like, yeah, like this would just be cool. Well, and it definitely, like you said, it definitely attracts talent. When people see that you take care of your gear, number one, and that you invest in your gear, number two. Investing, yeah. Man, there's so many guys that'll, they don't really care. They'll go buy them a bottom of the line machine that's got 10,000 hours on it and say, okay, go dig this foundation. Well, you and I both have tilt rotators, but they have like tilt buckets, even though it's a standard bucket because the bushings are so shot. Yeah. And it's hard to do your job when you got two inches of slop in your bucket. So, you know, people see that we invest in technology. They see that we invest in these machines and that alone makes them want to come give it a shot. So it definitely helps with talent acquisition as well. Yeah. And I just saw that you were, you were looking to hiring on, uh, on Instagram. And I guess, is that an outlet that you find, like you can find a lot of workers in your area on? Yeah. We get them from all over the country. I hired a guy from Canada, actually. I got a guy from uh, Regina that we did all the paperwork for, got him in here. The paperwork process is, is pretty intense uh, to get somebody in here, but we aren't hiring for anywhere out of the States unless somebody has a green card right now. But uh, yeah, man, like we draw people from all over the country. We've got people from the East Coast. We've got people from the West Coast. We've got a guy out of California. Like it's just, through Instagram, they see that you build relationships online and they're like, you know what? I want to come work with you guys. Like, this is what I want to be a part of. And our retention's pretty decent based on that, because if they're, if they're seeing that and they want to be a part of this, it's a lot easier. You and I both know it's a lot easier to keep people and keep people happy if they want to be there. So, yeah, I was going to actually, I was going to ask about that. Like, what's your turnover like? It's no secret. We struggle with a little bit of that too, but like our core group, we've, we've had, uh, you know, we're happy to keep guys multiple years. Sometimes they're here for just a season. Sometimes they're here for part of a season. But we've got a crew now that's been here multiple years. And it's it's great, man. It, it kind of starts getting that core. And that's also part of the new business struggle. We just started in 2016, man. Wow. So we're developing systems. We've got 401k. We've got insurance. We've got all that stuff now. 
and before that was that was a big deal breaker for us not having the 401k not not having the investments not having the insurance because these good guys want insurance oh yeah i mean they just simply do they expect it it's a little different story for you guys in canada because it's all socialized right so but that's something down in the states we really struggle with because there's a lot of small business that they don't provide any sort of insurance at all you're a whole healthcare thing down there i don't understand but yeah i mean i, I know it's a huge deal yeah when you say like you like do you you have a core group of like management like what are you running as far as like staff like do you have people inside like in an office doing estimating is that you how how big's your crew and what do you run yep so we just leased a new office this last fall uh winter congrats thanks man yeah so we've got uh two main pms uh they do estimating and pm work and then we've got a full-time modeler and takeoff guy so he runs we run ag tech in Trimble business center and a little bit of blue bean for the simple stuff but he runs those programs and just does estimates and cranks them out builds our models for our machines we're using uh, TrimbleWorks OS so we're, to where we can take it from the computer, ship it straight to the machine, and the guys don't have to plug it in with jump drives anymore. So we essentially have three to five people in the office at all times. And then that leaves us six to 15 guys in the field, just depending on the season and what we have for, for employees. Yeah, I mean, that's starting in 2016. I mean, that's a, a big business. Like, what, what's been your most success? I think, like, growing so quickly i mean is it just you know kind of the construction boom the last kind of three that helped you explode or or like is there one thing in particular yeah the the construction booms definitely help our region helps a lot so i'm in the bozeman area we have big sky mountain right 45 minutes down the road so big ski area we've done some pretty large houses up in big sky lots of over excavation restabilization we've done quite a few commercial developments here in town so that's been a really big part. So do you think that turnover is kind of related to that employees have a lot more kind of options right now as far as going other places? Because in construction, everybody's just looking for somebody right now to work. And if so, yes, then do you think that that might change as maybe things slow down because of the way the economy is? There's just a lot of uncertainty or do you even think that that's going to happen? What's your outlook on that? Yeah, so we're already kind of seeing it here. Things are slowing down on the residential side pretty substantially. I bet you guys have seen it up there. Down here in the States with our interest rates, I'm, I'm guessing yours are chasing our interest rates, but it's making these houses that were barely attainable just completely unattainable now. So that makes it to where it's harder for these guys to find housing. It's harder for them to really live the American dream of buying a house and investing and doing that. So yeah, I think uh, you know these guys are, are able to jump for a dollar an hour here and there. They're not looking long-term, but keeping people, if you pay them good from the get-go, they're not going to look and they're not going to be searching around. Um, there are some very stupid numbers being thrown around right now for simple things that really like it, it makes no sense, but these people are so desperate to just have guys. They're, they're cutting their own margins just to have people on the ground and really at the end of the day they're not winning and then it's not a win for those guys because at the end of the job they're going to be like well we can't really afford to keep you at what you're getting paid so thanks for your three months of hard work see ya yeah 
No, I would agree with that. I think the, the two biggest things take away from last year, our season that we saw like at the end of the year, you know, like our, our, you know, financial end of the year, it was, you know, wages and fuel were the two things that were just gone up like crazy, you know, and it sucks because that just gets passed on to the end consumer, right? hundred percent. And like our machines, machines have gone up a lot too. I mean, your 325 you have, I bet if you buy that machine now, you're going to spend another fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars over what you bought it for last year. Mm-hmm. Like we're seeing it, you know. There's cumulative through the year. There's twelve to twenty percent on the machine. So over two years' time, that's forty to fifty percent more for the same machine that you had two years ago. And for what? Like you can't charge that much more for it. So it's going to make it harder for guys like you and I. There just has to be a leveling effect. It's going to be through hyperinflation. Yeah, no, I agree. It is. You're right. Though. Like we see the same thing. Like, although see the thing with where I am in Ottawa, it's, this is where our government is. So it's kind of always had this weird kind of protected economy because it's a lot of government workers. So they're not really losing their jobs. And although the interest rates are high, we're still seeing that people are still building houses this year, but not as crazy as it was last year. So to say that it's going to be a bit of a slower year, I'd say it's probably a bit of a statement, but yet commercial stuff, it seems really busy. Um, are you heavy into the commercial work as well, too? We're definitely uh, getting a lot more into the commercial side of things. We're not really doing a whole lot more residential. We'll do large stuff. We've got a 14,000 square foot house going right now. But yeah, the uh, commercial work has really been rocking. So we're, we're definitely focusing on the commercial. Hmm, nice. That's good. Yeah. That's kind of uh, one thing that we've been trying to, uh, you know, we've been getting into more and more over the years. And now we've made some, again, like you kind of referred back at the beginning of the podcast as relationships and make relationships with these GCs that are, you know, building these, you know, commercial projects. And I feel like commercials for us has really allowed us to expand our growth and our revenue and get the opportunity to utilize some bigger machinery, some GPS and stuff like that. Like, I guess if you had kind of somebody asking, you know, like, okay, we do a lot of residential and, you know, like we, but I want to start, you know, maybe like getting, you know, some bigger machinery and getting into doing some commercial site servicing. What's the best way for me to do that? Ooh, so that's a tough one. I'm going to default to, you have to do what works for you. You have to know your market. But the biggest thing is there's just no option for failure. Just full steam ahead. A lot of the transition between residential and commercial, the biggest changes for me that I've seen is the pay schedule. So the residential pay schedule, we would turn invoices in and a lot of times within 15, 20 days, we'd have a check, which was money, right? I love that. But the commercial stuff, man, we've got jobs open right now that they haven't paid since November. And so it's like, you know, this is the end of February. And you get holdbacks too. Yeah. You get 5% retainage. I don't know what you guys do there, Montana State only allows five. So well, we're, we're 10% holdbacks. Yeah, but it's like at the end of the job, that chunk is nice, but it sure is nice dur- through the duration of the job too, right? So the biggest thing, yeah, is just have that cash in the bank because, you know, you're going to need that cash to make it through. So paperwork too, paperwork, man. That's where having the two, the two PMs really comes in. Those guys are rock stars when it comes to paperwork. I mean, they're just boom, boom, boom. Everything's recorded. We have cost tracking, we have all of that stuff. And it's like, if you don't do that on these commercial projects, they will eat you alive. You're right. And for me, it's actually like just getting 
So my, my operations manager, he is starting to do a lot more of our invoicing. And for me, I'm just on them about invoicing for me is super important. As soon as we're done the project, invoice it because our cash flow is nothing. If we're waiting 15 days, you know, to invoice a, a residential septic, which I know the client will pay in in like, you know, 10 or less days, that just pushed it an extra 25 days because we didn't get to it for 15. And I would agree with what you were, you were kind of saying about residential and commercial, like residentials, they, they pay nice. So that's why we kind of run like a residential crew. And then we have our commercial crew and our, our residential crew basically cash flows the business in order to be able to do the commercial stuff. It's nice when the commercial projects, those big checks come in and you get, you know, finally get paid for them after sometimes 120 days. But um, that's where residential is nice. So that was a really key point. Like if you're looking to grow, like don't just say, okay, we're not doing residential anymore. We're just going to do commercial because chances are you're going to need some cash to keep yourself going. Yep. And it's okay to be selective. I mean, I think everybody should be selective in the projects they take because it doesn't make sense for my crews to go out and dig a small house. Like it just doesn't make sense. We have way too much overhead. It, it just doesn't make sense. But it also doesn't make sense for guys that are geared and suited just for that to go out and put in a bunch of underground and do all this because they don't have what it takes to do that. So I guess a, a big thing is to know your lane and stick in it and own that lane. And if you want to change lanes, be prepared to change lanes, right? Like when you're, when we're going through driver's ed, they always teach you the steps of changing a lane. And I'm, I'm probably going to screw it all up here, but you turn your blinker on, you look, and then you, you double check and then you can go like there's, there's certain steps associated with moving. And as long as people follow those steps, like there's been tons of contractors that have started as nothing. And now they're huge. Like there's a guy here. Dennis Washington, he owns Washington companies. He owns stuff all over the world. And he owns the Komatsu dealer here. He owns copper mines here. He owns like all sorts of stuff. He started with a bulldozer back in the 60s. Like, wow. So like one guy can create billions. Like I was in Cabo and there's this massive yacht out there. It's got a helicopter. It's got all this. Oh, it's one of Dennis Washington's two massive yachts that he's got just parked there. And it's like, okay, so one guy can do it. One guy can't. That is the dream. Does everybody do it? Absolutely not. Can anybody do it? Sure. You put the work ethic in, you keep at it. And a lot of it is time, time and chance, like having the right opportunity. Like, I'm not going to lie. That's a huge thing. You've got to have the opportunity to succeed. But if you aren't willing to put in the work to do it, it's just not going to happen. But the transition, like you're talking about, sorry to get so far off here, but the transition if you want to do it and you, you hurt so bad that you want to grow and there's no other option to you, by all means do it. Just make sure you protect yourself along the way. It's exactly kind of what we ran into as well, too. But I, I like your, your point about opportunity. And, you know, for me, my opportunity was growing up in a family where my father had a, you know, successful construction business, three guys working for him, an excavator and a dump truck. And you're hundred percent right. And that's, you know, you ignore, ignore everybody online that, you know, just wants to rip on you. But that's my favorite thing. You know, if I get face to face with somebody and say, okay, I had this opportunity in front of me. And, you know, I bet you a lot of people would mess up the opportunity to take a company from A and bring it to B and continue to run that business kind of successfully and build out a team and, and all this stuff. So you're right, like opportunity is nothing without actually putting in the work for it as well, too. Right. So like, I just saw something that you'd posted about as a kid 
growing up watching the snowplows plowing the airport. Now you have the contract to do it. What, so what happened there? That honestly was exactly what you said is it's a relationship. I mean, I, I, I think if one people could take away from this podcast, it would be the word relationship. But you're right. I grew up my entire life driving past our local airport, CYRP, being like, one day I'd love to see like Ken White construction, you know, like plowing that. And dad would always be like, you know, like, oh, geez, like imagine that day, you know, <laughs> my, my dad is a six. My dad has, you know, created businesses and he's very successful, but he never had that, I guess, the mindset of like going bigger and and where that's kind of my vision. Maybe that's my privilege of being like, we're going to go here. But he was more conservative because you know it was like well like i've been through some bad friggin' times you know right but so then uh, you know we ended up doing a bunch of work for the people that own the airport and then the, came out the tender for the uh to plow it and we submitted a price price was good and uh, we geared up with some machinery i put the crew together and now we plow an airport and like it's purely based on a relationship but also putting in the time for it because it's not something where, you know, when they're plowing the yard or they're plowing our storage, we have guys that have done that for a while. For me, it, it's a lot of like, okay, well, I'm the one getting up at 3 a.m., meeting all the guys out there, making sure it's ready to go. Um, so I think it's important, too, to to not, you know, understand that it takes a lot of work to actually continue on and, and make something successful of like plowing an airport. Well, the opportunity is just the first step of that. The follow through has to come. And a lot of times the ball gets dropped in the follow through. And, you know, we've had jobs that I have not been proud of, man, in our growing. Oh, we've had some that just make me cringe. Same. But you can't expect every job to go perfectly. And we always do what we can to make it right. And, you know, I've paid to do jobs. We relayed sewer on a job three times this year. And I'm not proud to say that, but I'm proud to say that we got it done. And that we did it right. And sure, we didn't make any money on it, but we learned a lot. We definitely learned a lot and it's done properly. And so at the end of the day, like part of this growing and not having that collective knowledge, we're a young company, man, not having that collective knowledge from these old guys, like we've got it now, but it, it cost us. That's super impressive that you admit that. And to honest with you that that would make me trust you more in the hands of having a big project for me because that says a lot about the type of man that you are you're like hey no like we messed up and we're gonna fix this we're gonna do it right because at the end of the day i'm a man and i have my word and without my word i'm nothing well and i learned early on it never pays to just not fully disclose hey we're having xyz for problems we're looking for solutions and then just the biggest thing is, is keep the gcs in uh Keep them in constant contact and just say, hey, this is where we're at. Keep them apprised of the situation. And a lot of times they're like, wow, your guys' communication is crazy. Like, we've never had this. Like, we've had people try to fleece us before. And it's like, what do I gain by fleecing them? Because at the end of the day, my name's on that project. DCX is all over that project. We can't not do it right. Yeah, it's that short-sighted thinking, though, right, that we were talking about. It's a short-sighted thinking of like, I could, you know, screw over this GC and I could, you know, maybe make an extra $120,000, $150,000 on this project because I'm not going to tell them that that kind of went sideways. But instead, you need to think long term and go, well, these guys, this GC is probably going to have two or three more projects like this next year. Might be a slower year. I'm going to build this relationship with them so I know I get those and just continue on. Right. But people think short sighted and they, that money overcomes them and they go, oh, I could make some quick money right now. 
Yeah. And that's, you know, that's something that everybody has to get past. Like sometimes a relationship is worth more than the $10,000 in profit you're going to make that week. Like a relationship will always win in the long run. Because what happens if things completely come to halt? And this guy's the only guy that has a job, but you screwed him over. It's not going to go well. It's not going to go well. No, you're 100% right. And it's funny because last year we did a project for a commercial builder and, you know, we did this, that. We, when we estimated, we priced it. I told the guys, I'm like, boys, I want this job. I, I want this relationship with them. So this is not going to be a high profit job. If any profit, I want this job. And it was a tough, you know, decision. Look, because it was fairly large. We ended up executing the job. We did well on it. There was a few extras on it that we were able to make a little bit of more money on. But it wasn't a high ticket, high profit, but we built a relationship with them and we got two more large projects, double the size of the last one sent to us, you know, last month to review for pricing. So there's a lot of value in that. I wanted to touch on technology with you because I know that you are a fan of technology. You talked about Trimble, you talked about tilt rotators, and I know that you're an Engcon guy, which to me, honestly, the tilt rotators, every single one of them does the same thing. It's just everyone has their own selection. Why invest in the technology and a tilt rotator or GPS? Why is that important to you as a business owner? Well, it's really open the door for stuff we can do. But I think the biggest thing that tilt rotators add to us is efficiencies. And they have to be used in a manner where they're needed to really get those efficiencies. Because We've had some in the past and we have some now, some guys that like to just play with a tilt rotator and I'm sure you've dealt with that too. But like used in the right application, like there's just so much you don't have to do by hand now because of tilt rotators. So the first and foremost, that's what really sells them. My first experience with the tilt rotator, I bought two Incons. I had a 323 cat, 310 cat. And I was just like, yeah, full bore, let's do it. I'm buying two. We're going to go into this. I had GPS on both machines. My first day I got them, they, they delivered the machines and I'm out running it. I'm like, what did I do? Because I couldn't freaking run it, man. It's like learning all over again. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. Anyways, the next day, things went a lot better. That was a sleepless night there. That one definitely was a sleepless night. Did I make the right decision? Yes. I spent how much on these things? But after, you know, after a week, I just started seeing like huge gains, like, wow, I can go and do this now because I'm starting to get the hang of it. So that was a big thing for us. You pair the technology with it. I don't know if you've done any stream bank stuff or cut in major slopes or anything. I guess I don't really know what the terrain is there in Ontario. But like for us, when we put a 3D model in with Trimble, we have auto tilt, which is huge. Because you can tank it and it'll roll your bucket. It'll just curl it while you're dragging in it. Wow. So it'll, it'll actually tilt to meet the curvature of the earth. So like if you're rolling a slope from, say, a four to one to a two to one to make it steeper, it'll just automatically match that. And it makes a perfect buttery smooth cut. And so the technology really pairs great with the Incont because it makes your job as an operator and the fatigue that you feel at the end of the day so much less because you can just trust the machine. And then when you're done with that cut, you can go back through and just spot check it with your bucket. You can look at your design elevation, see exactly where your bucket's at, and then you're done. But that goes back to the model. 
So it's only as good as the model is. So that goes into why we have our own in-house modeler, because there's certain things we do on our models that other people don't. And so the technology bubble, it's, it's an infinity bubble, right? Like it can just go. I had the opportunity to go to CES and just looking at the uh, technology at CES this year, man. Like That looks so cool. It was cool. The, the market that we would be interested in is quite small there, but it's growing like crazy. Uh, John May, the, the CEO of John Deere, did the keynote. Him and Jamie Hindeman and a couple others did it. And it was huge. It was really huge to be there. I went on my own accord. It was one of those things that I, I didn't have anybody take me. I decided I was going to go. And, you know, we've got, a, we've got a partner in our John Deere dealer here that's really big in technology. And he helped, he helped me out some. But the tech forward thinking of John Deere is like, I love it. Everything is going to technology. And, and we're seeing that across the board with manufacturers, right? But there's this big idea that everything is going the tech way. I'm sure you get it to on your comments sections of people saying, oh, well, you're taking away jobs from so-and-so and so-and-so. But it's like, there's nobody to fill those jobs. So I'm not taking a job away from if they don't fill those jobs. So we have, as business owners, we have to find ways to get the work done without those people to fill those jobs. And we can sort of bridge that gap with technology, tilt rotators help and, and, and everything along the way. So. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. I mean, the, those two go hand in hand, would you say, like a tilt rotator in, in, in GPS? Oh, 100%. I had the chance to go to Sweden and, you know, they've been using tilt rotators in Sweden for 20 years, yeah. right? Oh, I know. Longer than 20 years, 30 years. We saw a, uh, an older Volvo excavator. It looked pretty nice. It had 14,000 hours on it. Tilt rotator, been on it since new, never been rebuilt. Thing looked amazing. They run machines differently than we do, though. Most of their machines aren't idled up all the way. And it's just a slow, measured pace. And they're easier on the machines. They're digging in solid rock. And they hold up great. But it's just the, the operator that's pushing butts. But this technology is sustainable, right? Like if it can be around for 30 years and keep working just fine, I think we're golden. Yeah, I think for me, it was honestly like so much like just the attachments that you can put onto them, whether it be grapples or grade beams, rollers, packers, I mean, anything, you name it. It's just crazy, the stuff that you can put onto it. And it's kind of like whenever we saw it, I'm like, well, this is something I wish I had, you know, five years ago. This would be really cool. I'd be so further ahead. We host those Incon demo days, usually do two a year. And I didn't think that in little old Montana, we barely have a million people in the state, right? Like, I didn't think that there would be a new crowd every time, but there is. We have a new crowd and there's the, the same few guys that show up to everyone, which is awesome. But there's almost a new crowd every time. People just getting interested in them, just seeing the benefits and We've had a couple of guys show up to him and be like, man, I cannot believe I didn't have one of these years ago because it has been a life changer. Like you can reduce your workload on your labor or you can even go without labor. You can eliminate machines. They're awesome. Definitely awesome. Well, that's one thing that I'm definitely looking forward to uh, seeing at, uh, at this year's Connex as well, too, the technology and Honestly, just meeting everybody as well, too, is going to be a good time. But are you going to be there in a, in a couple of weeks? Yep, I'll be there. Um, I'm going to be splitting some time between the Incon booth and the John Deere booth. I'm actually, this is 
kind of news, but I'm going to have a machine at the show. So you'll be able to swing by and run a machine at the Incon booth that says DC Excavation on it. Oh, I'm going to run that thing so hard. <laughs> I'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to be like, yeah, I'm going to have some fun in this one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's a really cool thing because, you know, you can show up. You've never had any experience on a tilt rotator. You can hop in the seat. Oh, that's cool, man. I'll be there some. I know a lot of the, the Incon guys will be around. A lot of the income influencers will be around. So, yeah, encourage everybody to swing my, check that out. And, uh, yeah, so I'll be jumping between there and John Deere, maybe pop over to Trimble and AgTech some and check those guys out. But, yeah, I'm with you, man. You know, we have, we have the machines. I want to see the technology now. We have a lot of the technology on our machines. What can we add to our machines, to our office, to make us more efficient? That's, that's a huge thing for me to see at con expo as well so i'm i'm definitely pumped about that sweet man well i mean dane like let, let's carry on this conversation at con expo in a couple of weeks and uh i appreciate you coming on and getting through it and uh yeah we'll see you at con expo yeah sounds great man it'll be nice to finally meet you in person i agree likewise we can go check out those black machines we can go look at the black machine <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening to uh, this episode of the Con Expo Con A podcast brought to you by our good friends over at Komatsu. We'll catch you at the show in a couple of weeks. Take care. Sounds great. Thank you, guys. I would love to remind everybody that uh, I will be doing a live podcast at the show on Thursday, March 16th from 2.15 to 3.15 in the Community Zone. And if you're asking yourself who is going to be this amazing guest, it is Dana Wusthoff, who is actually the show director for Con Expo Con Egg, and she will be sitting down and having a conversation about what it takes to put on a show like Con Expo. And uh, to be totally honest with you guys, I reached out. I'm like, I want to talk to somebody that has, you know, such a big hand in making everything happen. And that is what's going to be going on. And I cannot wait to sit down with Dana and talk about everything Con Expo, talk about previous and even maybe tease something about the future. Obviously, that will be posted on YouTube and everything later on. But stop by the Community Zone March 16th from 2.15 to 3.15. I will be there. Dane will be there. 